0: Caitlin, Aaron, Dave, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Our teaching text is Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23 today. If you have your Bible, you can open up there and I'm going to read it and then Larry is going to come and teach it. This is the gospel according to Matthew, starting in verse 12 of chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Galilees, or Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of God. Good morning. Man, that was like
1: really quiet. That's what I have to work with, be like sleepy. Good morning. morning. Hey, you woke up. That's awesome. Oh man, today is the last Sunday before uh, we begin the season of Lent, as Ryan sort of shared. And it's really a season where we acknowledge our own mortality and it's, it's designed to help us to stare at that. And it's probably good to do that every year. But it's beautiful because then we go into Easter, and Easter is just so significant uh, because of that. This week, we kick off Lent with Ash Wednesday service. I really hope that you'll come to that. I think it's going to be a really meaningful time for all of us, and I'm excited about it. In case you are wondering just, or wondering, just to reiterate what Ryan said, no, we're not becoming Catholic church. But the idea of a church calendar has been around for centuries, and actually millennia. If you look at the scriptures, even the Old Testament, they had a rhythm. That they were following, a calendar rhythm, feasts and festivals and observances and readings. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, when we see Jesus go in to a synagogue and he grabs a scroll and he did the reading for the day, that was a lectionary reading based on the calendar tradition that they were part of. And really, the reason why churches do this is to immerse us every year into a journey through the life of Christ. And by looking at that, it's an exemplary journey, which means it's, a, it's our example. There's this routine, there's this rhythm to the life of Jesus that we find ourselves as followers of Jesus uh, immersed in. And so that's why churches talk about that. It starts in Advent. And you might remember Advent. That's that place that's sort of the limbo of waiting between the incarnation. It's the longing for the fact that Jesus will return uh, again. And then we move into Christmas. And a lot of people, how many of you love the Christmas season? Christmas season fans? All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So I've got this friend, she's a fanatic about Christmas. I mean, she decorates her house like crazy. It's a huge, huge deal. And then she goes through depression, like on December 26th, like really bummed. And I had to remind her before, like, hey, the Christmas season, according to the church calendar, is actually 12 days long. So it's not over on 26th. You're just getting started, baby. So if you're a kid, tell your parents, I want presents every day for 12 days. You've been cheating me and giving it to me for what? Hopefully my kids don't hear this sermon, but for you, that's what Christmas is. But then we walk in the calendar from Advent to Christmas. Then we walk into what's called Epiphany. And Epiphany is the season where we see Jesus's earthly ministry beginning when he's about 30 years old. And a lot of interesting things happen around that. It's a a really interesting um, holiday for those who observe um, Epiphany. It's early in January. And I moved here from a town in Florida called Tarpon Springs, that half of the population of the town were Greek, and they had this big festival, this big party uh, on Epiphany. And you'll see the boats there. These are high school, I think they're seniors in this boat, and a priest will come out and throw a cross into this bayou. And then they will dive in, and whoever gets it supposedly gets the blessing for the year. 30,000 people come out to celebrate Epiphany. It's kind of bananas. And when we lived there, it was always frustrating to me because I would always forget. So I would go to just get milk or something from the grocery store and be like, what is up with traffic today? This is crazy. And then I'd see helicopters and go, it's Epiphany. Okay. So today is the last day of Epiphany. Technically, it's called Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, And then we dive into Lent. And what I want to do is I want to go back to this story that Ryan read for us. And I want to... look at the beginning of his earthly ministry because I think there's something for us to learn about this before we dive into this next season. And I'm going to give you one big idea and then three sort of things to chew on and to take action for. Now, where we find this story, you see this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. And this comes after a a few things happening. First, we saw Jesus's baptism a little bit earlier in Matthew. And we would all probably agree that baptism is kind of an awesome thing, isn't it? It's a big deal. It's a high. But then immediately after his baptism, the spirit leads him to the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And so for 40 days, we might say that's kind of a low. Although we're in Colorado, there are some of you who go, man, if I could spend 40 days in the wilderness, that'd be awesome. It wasn't awesome, okay? But it was really, really powerful, and we learn a lot from that. So then after that season, Jesus hears that his cousin has been imprisoned, And so he withdraws to the area of Galilee. And uh, the scripture says that when he did this, that was fulfilling the scriptures uh, of what the prophet Isaiah said. So he started preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, which was kind of mind blowing for people. So then the story shifts into this, what's probably familiar for a lot of us. Jesus calls his first disciples and he walks up to these guys, uh, Simon and Andrew, and they were what? What was their business? What work did they do? They were fishermen. So James or uh, James and John, Simon and Andrew, all fishermen. And then at the end of this passage, it ends with some of the amazing things that Jesus did. So he gets baptized. He spends time in the wilderness. Um, he retreats after he hears about John the Baptist, and then he calls his disciples. And from then on, he's busy. I mean, it's busy. So there's a lot happening in this passage, and there are a lot of moving parts. And honestly, we could drill down on multiple parts of this and spent eight weeks looking at it today i just want to look um at sort of a big idea that i think synthesizes the big idea of this passage and what i want to do is i want us to wrap our minds around this big idea and then start asking god like i don't want to just hear a scripture today in church Uh, what i'm hoping for is that we would hear this but we, we would be provoked to chew on this and to take some action so if you're taking notes in your service guide today i want to encourage you to write this down we're going to go back to it over and over and over today here's the big idea God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people to do unexpected things. I'll say it again. God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people to do what? Unexpected things. Is there a word maybe that sticks out to you in this big idea? Call it out. Someone said in. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't. So... We're, we're now starting the third month of the year. Can you believe that? We're already on month three of 2019, which means that for most of us, we're about six weeks or so into abandoning the goals that we set on January 1, right? So we're about six weeks into the abandonment of those goals. But I think as we continue to ease into this year, I have a feeling that this word unexpected is gonna be a recurring theme for all of us and for our church. A year for some of us may be filled with unexpected blessings, and maybe unexpected challenges, and for whatever reason, this seems to be the pattern of life. It's like uh, we go into fall, and then we have winter, and then we have spring, and then we have summer, and on and on it goes. I want you to say this big idea with me. Say it loud. Here we go. God shows up in In unexpected unexpected places places to call unexpected unexpected people to do unexpected things. things. Let's talk about the first part of this. God shows up in unexpected places. You know, we see a pattern of this in scripture. All the way to the very first part of Genesis, where we see the fall of Adam and Eve. And then suddenly they're aware of their nakedness and aware of their sin and their shame. And so they're hiding. And the last place you would expect God to be, after all, they had sinned. They had disobeyed God. The last place you would expect God to be was where? In the garden. But what happened? God showed up. And he didn't just hide out, he went after them. Like he pursued them. That's part of the gospel narrative that's like most compelling to me. As Ryan likes to say, um, often sometimes we get hung up on original sin and we forget that a chapter or two before there was original blessing. And then even with original sin, God still pursued them. That was unexpected. You know, in the middle of a desert, a guy named Moses was walking along and there was this bush. You, maybe you've heard the story. The bush was on fire, but it wasn't like disintegrating. And God spoke to Moses through this burning bush. I'd say that's unexpected. God showed up in a pillar of fire. He showed up in a cloud leading his people through the desert. But I think the most unexpected part of this is that he showed up in a manger. Not exactly the place that you think like the king of kings would show up, right? And so here in Epiphany, we see the beginning of Jesus's ministry uh, kicking off. And you'd expect that the creator of the world the one who came for the sins of the whole world, you'd think he'd announce his ministry in some beautiful place with maybe like a band playing, maybe a TV special, maybe a Netflix original documentary. I mean, a big deal. You follow me? He didn't do that. I could see him choosing to step in, maybe like in Jerusalem and gathering a crowd and maybe like a stadium in Jerusalem and just getting on the microphone and saying, hey, I just want to let everybody, everybody know I'm here, mic drop, boom. But remember... God shows up in unexpected places. And we see Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all things, God in the flesh, then retreats to a town called Galilee from Nazareth. And Galilee, if you don't know much about Galilee, it was in the north part of the country. And a lot of Jews were really skeptical of it because there were a lot of Gentiles there. It was a really eclectic city. And there were lots of people there that most Jews would consider outsiders, that they, these were uncultured and irreligious people and a good Jew wouldn't be associated with these people. And it was filled with people stuck in the self-serving patterns of darkness and missing out on the full life that God promises through Christ. Get the picture? It was the kind of place that good Jews would never set foot in because it was tainted with all the wrong kinds of people. And Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and so I'm sure reading this, they were very shocked to see this move. You're trying to tell me that the, that the Savior, the Messiah, went to that place? like, please let it not be true. So instead of an elaborate launch or whatever, Jesus goes to an unexpected place. And I love the way the message paraphrase tells us about this prophecy of Isaiah. It says, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, road to the sea, over Jordan, Galilee, crossroads for the nations. People sitting out their lives in the dark saw a huge light. Sitting in that dark, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. It's really interesting, um, because this passage actually is a part of a lectionary reading for Epiphany, and it's in January, typically, every third year. And when I lived in Chicago, I lived there for seven years, and we understood this scripture all too well in the winter, sitting in that dark, dark country of death. (laughs) Finally, in April, they watched the sun come up. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of people who are broken, who who sort of maybe that felt like what they were living in, this, this this difficult place. What a beautiful picture of what happens when God shows up in unexpected places. When Jesus shows up, his light shines into the darkness. And here's what we know about God's presence. When, when God shows up in unexpected places, it's unexpectedly good. Unexpectedly good. These people were in darkness, and he shined a light. He brought light to them. How amazing. One thing I love about Colorado is the sunrises here are just spectacular, aren't they? And I love looking at the mountains from here and watching the sun come on, and it's like if you, every like 10 minutes, it starts to change and shift, and it looks a little bit different. And it still strikes me after two years how gorgeous this is. Imagine sitting in darkness for so long, what a sunrise would do for you. That's what happened when Jesus came to Galilee. So there's this community of people there. They weren't steeped in the tradition that the Jews were. They didn't know about a calendar. They didn't know about a community. They didn't know about those rhythms. And instead of them being prescribed a playbook, the author of the playbook himself showed up in their town. God showed up in the flesh. What about us? Does God show up in unexpected places in our lives? You know, for a long time I had this card on my desk that says, God comes to you disguised as your life. Isn't that interesting? It is kind of a, a reminder uh, that for those of us who like to differentiate the sacred from the secular that God's in all of it. Like there's not a part of creation that we can go that's separate from God. Make sense? And we can say that like lofty scripture-wise, we can quote the Bible and say all these things, but sometimes we forget that it's true in our own life that if I can't go somewhere from God's spirit, then God's spirit is with me, that God is up to something in my life. God is always with me. And sometimes I think we forget that the incarnation continues every single day. It wasn't just a, a thing that happened a couple thousand years ago that we sing some songs about and we worship Jesus for. God is still up to work. Every day, every second of every day, incarnation continues to happen. And I have to wonder, and I'm going to throw this question out for you, what's an unexpected place that you've seen God showing up in your life? Maybe it's in how you think. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's a job or being in nature and recognizing God created all of that. Would someone Call out some place in your life that's unexpected where God showed up? Marriage? Marriage. Work. Work? What else? Hmm? Cancer. Cancer? Wow. Vietnam? Vietnam. Wow. Any, anything else? It's really interesting that if we, we sort of pause and take an inventory... We recognize God shows up unexpectedly all the time. The incarnation didn't stop, and if we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, we would see those those little whispers of God showing up on a regular basis. So we see God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people. Mm. This is interesting. You'd you sure think that this great Messiah would surround himself with the sharpest, smartest most educated, Ivy League-trained people, right? If he's going to launch this thing that we are blessed to be a part of all this time later, he's going to surround himself with the wisest, sharpest, uh, tempered people, right? But we see that Jesus goes to this unexpected place. He calls some unexpected people, and it's really interesting. If we look at the kind of people that he called, they were fishermen, right? Uh, Not the highest thought of people on the planet. They were surly. They had salty language. They were rough around the edges. They were... Uh, interesting folks. And for them, and they were in a career, where it was sort of like end of the line. Like they weren't thinking like, I'm going to launch an international brand like Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. That's not what they were thinking. They were like, get some fish for the day. I'll sell it for a few pounds and call it, call it good. This kind of thing. But what's really interesting is he used fishermen to launch a movement. Wait, what? He used fishermen to launch a movement. You know, it's easy to look at those guys and think to ourselves he could have done a lot better. He could have found some better quality people and to write them off as the least qualified candidates for this important work. And maybe it even felt weird for them. I mean, they're just fishing, they're just doing this thing, and this teacher dude comes up and taps him on the shoulder and says, Follow me. And for these guys, I can't tell you how many times in my role as a pastor. I, one of my favorite places to be is actually out with people who don't know Jesus. I really like that. Hey, but it's always funny. Once they find out I'm a pastor, they kind of freak out. They start apologizing. Oh, yeah, I uh, don't listen to that secular music there. I, you know. I'm like, just be yourself, you know? I once heard a pastor say, telling someone you're a pastor is like telling them you're a cannibal and inviting them over for dinner. <laughs> But what I found to be true is that sometimes people are so wrapped in this shame narrative about themselves that maybe they don't measure up or that maybe God hates them, God's displeased with them, that the moment they're invited into that sort of presence, they feel guilty, they feel shame. I think we can all relate. I mean, I think sometimes God comes to us and asks us to do something, and we're afraid to do it because we don't think we measure up. We take an inventory and go, huh. I'm not, you know, I have this thing going on in my life. I have this baggage. I have this stuff over here. And so maybe when I get my stuff together, I'll serve God. Because all too often, we still see ourselves from a, a deficit. We're starting from this shameful place. We don't feel worthy. We're steeped in shame. We, we say things like, oh, I don't give enough, or I don't serve enough, or I'm not smart enough, or, well, I'm just really not that social, or... I'm too ordinary or I drink too much or I have too much baggage and on and on and on it goes and feeling those things make us feel insignificant. And imagine those fishermen when Jesus calls out to them saying, well, what the heck does he want with me? And what if he finds out about all that stuff in my life? And as I chewed on this, I wondered, what if God saw something in them way beyond all of their stuff? And to you, I would say, what if God sees something in you way beyond all of that presenting surface stuff or even your deep pain? I think it's it's really easy in this story to dismiss these guys with some character flaws and some inexperience and salty language and those kinds of things and miss out on the fact that these guys had actually learned a ton of good skills that would serve them well in spreading the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Anybody that's been fishing before knows that one core trait every fisherman must have is patience, right? Fishing sometimes takes a long time. These guys had developed patience. They'd learn things about timing. They'd learn things about taking care of their stuff, about their resources. Um, Actually, we see that they were mending their nets. They were caring for their things. They learned to provide for others. They learned to work together as a team, and on and on it goes. And God knew that their personalities were exactly what Jesus needed to use to do really important work and in their mind maybe they're stuck in sort of like genesis 3 i'm broken i'm scum i'm sin and jesus maybe jesus looked a little farther back than that and saw the image of god in them filtered through the lens of their experience and who he intended for them to be and here's the thing jesus wasn't calling them out for their sin and shame He was calling them out for their potential. And maybe another way to look at this is he wasn't calling them out for their sin and shame. It's easy to imagine calling, you did this and you did this, because he knew. He knew what was going on. Maybe it wasn't that he called them out for, maybe he called them out of their sin and shame. A much different story, isn't it? And when he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near... He's actually inviting them to turn from this life, from these patterns of thinking, from all these things that entrapped them and enslaved them and kept them under the foot of the enemy and said, I have something better for you. Let's walk away from the sin and the shame and let's look at your potential, which is the image of God within and see what God might want to do in you. So he took these guys who were fishermen, and yes, that's what they did for work, but he expanded their idea of vocation, and he gave them something significant to do. And here's what's crazy, is it took all of what was wrapped up in them, the good, the bad, and the ugly, their sin, their shame, their brokenness, their talents, their abilities, their hopes and dreams. He took all of that wrapped up into a whole human person, and he used it to launch a movement that we still benefit from today. And if Jesus had surrounded himself with just the perfect people to lead this movement, I don't know that any of us would be here today. I heard someone once say, we can't always relate to one another's successes, but we can all relate to one another's pain. It's just a part of our story. And we get to benefit from that. All that stuff, warts and smiles and scars and experiences and all, God can use every bit of that to unleash the kingdom on the world. Because just like with those fishermen, God doesn't call us out for our sin and shame. He calls us out of it. He calls us into our potential. And remember the words of Ephesians chapter two, such a powerful um, scripture. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so sometimes I think people think, well, God uses me in spite of who I am. And I would say, I think that's wrong. I think God uses you because of who you are, warts and all. Listen, you might feel like the the least likely person that God wants to use to do unexpected things, but we see in the scriptures a pattern over and over and over again that the story of God is God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people. That's you and me. To do what? To do unexpected things. So the final part of this is is he uses unexpected people to do unexpected things. And in this story, he says some unexpected things. One example is he's telling the people that the kingdom that they're hoping for someday, someday the king will come, someday the kingdom will come. He's saying, no, 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 it's now, like it's, it's happening right now. His cousin, remember he was going out doing some PR, preparing the way, and he was letting people know that, hey, the kingdom of hand is near. It doesn't mean like a million years in the future. It's like, it's happening now. And then he demonstrates his power over this by doing all of these unexpected things. He's healing the sick. He's taking care of people. He's calling people out of their brokenness and putting them on the path toward wholeness, which was unexpected. But then what's really interesting is he then um, is going through there. He's teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news, healing people, ridding their bodies of sickness and disease. It's really interesting that the first miracle that Epiphany sort of celebrates is actually my favorite miracle from the scriptures. And this is the story where Jesus turns water into wine. That's a pretty awesome miracle. I am not able to perform said miracle, just so you know. If I could, that would be amazing. I mean, that'd be awesome. You'd all be inviting me over to your parties. Just get some big jugs of water and have Larry come over. It's going to be pretty fantastic. So that act in itself was pretty unexpected. But here's kind of a little beautiful nuance within that is that Jesus did not turn this wine into two-buck chuck. Now, these are people who had been enjoying this wedding feast for a good bit. And normally, you bring out the not-as-good quality stuff. Jesus turned it into, like, the 58 Bordeaux. It's kind of a big deal. Unexpected. But then he turned around and he empowered and he tasked his disciples with being unexpected. He sent them out um, serving people, to love people well, raising people from the dead, reaching across socially acceptable lines to tell others about this kingdom, and on and on and on it went. And ultimately, that's why we're a part of this tradition, this, this stream called Christianity, why we follow Jesus, is because he asked these disciples, unexpected people, to do unexpected things in the church, as we see very clearly in the New Testament, exploded. And we see the church has an interesting history for the last couple thousand years, warts and all, but God has continued to use his church to break forth the kingdom in this earth. So what about us? Does God expect us to do unexpected things? I see people doing it all the time. I see people being like wildly extravagant with their generosity. We have a food bank, and in the month of December, this church said, I'm gonna get behind renovating this food bank so we can serve even more people and gave a lot of money, sacrificially. That's unexpected. I see people feeding those who don't have food. I see people comforting the hurting. I see people going to places that a lot of other people wouldn't go to love people well because maybe it's not socially acceptable. Remember, Jesus said that we are the light in the darkness. And my prayer is that we would all begin to see ourselves as God sees us, looking beyond the junk to our potential, and, and I'm going to kind of put a challenge out here. This is sort of the I'm going to ask everybody to think about this. Would you consider this year, if you're looking for a goal, if you're looking for something to rally around? What if you became a dispenser of hope this year? Remember those little Pez dispensers when we were kids? You pull the little animal's head, and whoop, a little sugary thing that rots our teeth comes out, and we eat it, and then we eat fifty more. Remember those? Yes and amen. Yes and amen. <laughs> What if followers of Jesus would say, this year, I'm going to be a dispenser of hope. I'm going to be actively seeking opportunities to spread a little hope. When people don't have it, I'm going to show up. I'm stepping into the mess, and I'm going to cast a little vision for for hope. You know, sometimes it doesn't mean that we have to make a big move to do unexpected things. Sometimes we think, oh, if I say to God, I'll be used by you now, that's scary because maybe I have to move to Africa or give away all my possessions or all this. Sometimes it's little things. Just calling out greatness in others around us, being a dispenser of hope. Sometimes it's helping a hurting friend. Or going on a missions trip, or volunteering someplace, or sometimes just being available is unexpected. Especially in a a society where we're so busy, we have so much going on. And to stop and to sit with someone in the midst of their mess, that's unexpected. So there it is. God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people to do unexpected things. And, and I suspect that this year, God's tugging on all of us, not just me, not just you, all of us, uh, to journey and do some unexpected things. And I think God's going to use this church in some unexpected ways. So grab your seatbelt, buckle up, because it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. So what I want to do, though, is I want to give you three things to chew on and take action with. As you ask, your role in God showing up in unexpected places to call unexpected people to do unexpected things. And the first thing I want to just present to you is, what if you should shift how you see yourself? I wonder as we dive into this new year that's really filled with possibility, how many of us need to just really take an honest, hard look at how we see ourselves and realign our self-image with the truth of who God says we are. And I'll just be vulnerable and just say, this is hard for me. I grew up in a, um, a situation where I didn't have the, the positive narrative of God going into my head. And I'm 41, and I still have to work on this, remembering that I am who God says that I am. Warts and all. There's a prophet in the Old Testament called Jeremiah who felt a lot like we and, and those fishermen often do. And I want to just look at this, Jeremiah chapter 1. Listen to what happened here. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I had something set up for you to do. And then the protest starts. And we all have this, this little narrative that's rolling around. Verse six, alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. What's the narrative that you're telling yourself? Maybe it is that you're too young. Maybe it's that you don't have something to give. Maybe it's that there's all this junk that's in the way of you being able to serve. Well, listen to what God said. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. You know, Jeremiah totally didn't feel worthy but God reminded Jeremiah that he was with him. And often we let our our sin and our shame and our imperfections or those parts of our story we'd rather forget, keep us from being used in some extraordinary ways simply because that's how we see ourselves. But my hope for 2019 South Fellowship is that you'd begin to see yourself differently. You'd see that God's calling out to you, that you matter, that your life has worth and meaning, that your experiences, as painful as they might've been, can be used for good. And some of us need to remember that God's not finished with us yet. And so for some of us, the work begins with shifting how we see ourselves. The second thing we can take away from this is the challenge to let something go. You know, Jesus, it's interesting, as he called his disciples, he asked them to to follow him. And immediately, the scriptures say, immediately they dropped their nets. They threw them down and they followed him immediately. So I think maybe for some of us, maybe we need to ask this question, what do I allow to define me that needs to be dropped in order to really live in the way of Jesus this year? What's defining you that you're holding firmly to, but it's really not true, or it's not helpful, or it's not good? What is that thing that maybe you should let it go? The disciples, there's this pattern with Jesus where he calls them and immediately they follow. There are others that he calls and they say, well, well, first let me go take care of some business. And he's like, no, 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 just follow me. And I love that the model of these fishermen, their entire identity was wrapped up in their vocation. That's a really dangerous place to be, by the way, if you didn't know that. Because if something happens with the vocation, often our heart is a wreck at that point. Their entire identity was wrapped in that. And stunningly, when he called them, they dropped their nets, and they turned the other direction, and they followed him. What is it that we need to let go of? For some of us, it's the image of ourselves. For others, it's holding on to parts of our identity or the limiting belief of like, well, I guess this is all I'll be able to do. For some of us, it's holding on to an idea or an agenda or a direction that we think we should be going in. For some of us, it's getting out of debt and posturing ourselves to be able to go when God calls us to go. What is it that we need to drop in order to take a big step forward this year? So we change how we see ourselves. We let something go. And then finally, for some of us, we need to take a step. One thing we see in the disciples is that they, they drop their nets immediately and they follow Jesus. And for those of us who want a master plan, like give me the five-year plan before I take a step, that's really hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. You know what's really interesting? The way that our brains are wired, if we think about doing something and we talk about doing something, our brain registers it as if we've done something. The reward center of our brain begins to release chemicals and make us feel like I progressed. When in reality, we can study something, we can talk about it all we want. If I say I'm going to run a marathon, number one, confront me over that and say, this is not good for you. (laughs) But let's just say a streak of craziness hits this brain and says, run a marathon. I can read a lot about running a marathon. You can get on YouTube. You can watch training videos. You can watch other people training. I could call my friends. I could do a Facebook Live. Here's seven steps to an amazing marathon. But if I never get off of my rear end and start running, and then I just sign up for a marathon and I get on the starting line, I'm going to make it like 200 yards, and then I'm done. You see what I'm saying? Listen, all of us have things that for years we've been talking about. We've been saying we're going to do something. We've been studying how to do the thing. Our brains are full, but our legs are not moving in a direction. And I think for me, I know for me, uh, I like thinking about the big picture and it's going to take 17 steps. And sometimes we just need to take a step and then another step. And it doesn't have to be to Africa. It doesn't have to be to some foreign country. It might just be getting to know your neighbors. It might be a step in your own heart. It might be a little bitty thing or a new rhythm you put in place for your family. But I think the biggest thing is to create space to simply have our ear to the ground and just ask God, what's my next step? Not what are my next 30 steps? And I think Lent is a really great season for this. Lent forces us to slow down, and you've probably heard people talk about the idea of giving up something for Lent. And there's a reason why they do that, not just because it's cool. I'm sure there are people who do it because it's just cool. But for those who do this with meaning, it's a discipline of saying no to something in order to say yes to something even better. So sometimes a step is going somewhere. Sometimes a step is saying no. I'm not going to do that right now. Imagine if you just asked for wisdom for the next thing, and then you took a step, even if it was just a baby step, and then after you did that, you took another step, and then after that, you took another step. Believe me, we, we don't always have the answers, and sometimes we don't know what those things are, but sometimes we have to just take a step. I'm going to give you an example from my own life. In 2015, I had been in Chicago for about seven years and really was sensing that the Lord was moving us. I knew it for a year in advance, and um, and trying to figure out what to do. We ended up moving to the Gulf Coast of Florida. We'd been through a pretty rough several years, it was kind of a good R&R, and it was Florida. It was sunny. We were right on the beach. It was pretty amazing. In January, though, of 2017, my heart was restless. I missed the church. I missed um, our community, and we're trying to figure out what was next, and I got invited to go back to my old church in Chicago. And the passage that they assigned me to read is actually the passage that we went through here together today. And i had gone to this place of feeling discontent, and like God wanted to disrupt things once again. And I went into that weekend thinking, I think I know what it might be. I mean, I've been invited to preach here again. I think maybe we're supposed to go back to Chicago and be a part of this community again, which sounded really wonderful because in Florida, we were isolated. We didn't have a lot of friends. We didn't know a lot of people. And we could go back to Chicago and have the same community and our same group of friends, and my kids would have their friends, and it just sounds perfect. And so in the midst of feeling restless, I felt such peace and such hope, and my wife did too. We went into it going, we think maybe God's calling us to go back to Chicago. But going through the weekend, Annette and I had this distinct sense. I mean, just as clear as could be that even though God had had us there for seven years, it was not his plan to return us there again. And I got to be honest, it was devastating to me. I flew back to Florida and I spent two whole days in the pit of despair. If you know me, like I'm not a down in the dumps kind of person. I'm very optimistic, but I was not. And my wife actually said to me, I've never seen you like this. And I don't know that I had ever felt that way. But I felt like really confused. Like I, I thought it was this thing. So I spent several hours journaling the mess that was in my mind, and I wrote down six things that it felt like God was saying to me. And I'll spare you all the details, but basically the bottom line was this. I felt like God was saying to me, uh, I'm going to take you on an unexpected journey. I'm not going to tell you the destination yet, so you've got to trust me with the journey. And I have to be honest and say, I hated that. Like, I don't like that at all. Like, show me the map. Let's see where we're going. I want the nine steps from here to there. Even when I do map, I hit the turn-by-turn directions. I want to get familiar with the concept before we go on the path. And God didn't see that. God said, I'm going to take you on a destination, and I want you to trust, trust me. I'm going to take you on a journey. Trust me with this destination. And four days later, uh, I got an email from Ryan Paulson saying that South Fellowship was looking for an executive pastor, and he wondered if I knew anyone who might be interested in that. That was Interesting. And then three days after that, a large church in Florida near where I lived asked me if I would consider interviewing with them for an executive pastor position. So suddenly, I went from the pit of despair with zero prospects to two prospects. As a matter of fact, the weekend that I was here uh, interviewing uh, for this job, the leadership of the other church, they had texted me that week, hey, how's it going? And they were praying that I would not like this and that I would come to Florida and take that job. And what's crazy is that both churches offered me a job within one week. And it was like God saying to me, I think because I did submit to the journey and I didn't get too far ahead with the destination. God gave me two amazing opportunities and said, what do you want to do? And I chose to come to Denver and I'm really glad that I did. And I'm not sure that I would have done that had I not preached on this text. And and what I learned about this is that The big idea that I shared with you today, God allowed me to write that for myself. Because I don't think I would have been ready for an unexpected journey had I not journeyed through this text and recognized that it sometimes gets pretty wild following Jesus. Remember the big idea. God shows up in unexpected places to call unexpected people to do unexpected things. And listen, this year might be filled with all kinds of unexpected things for all of us. In this church... We're committed to doing some pretty significant things for Jesus. We're really going to put our heart into some things to help people be spiritually formed and to love our city well and to love the world well. And that's going to take a lot of work, but we don't have like every little step figured out. I wish we did. We're working on it. But I firmly believe God wants to use this community here, this tribe, in pretty unexpected and powerful ways. But listen, the only way that happens is for you and I both to take seriously a commitment following in this beautiful pattern, being willing when God says go, to embrace the unexpected. Change is hard, but it's in the mess of that. The beauty comes out. So what about you? Here's my question for you. What do you need to do to posture yourself for God to use you for unexpected things? What is that for you? You know, for some of us, it means shifting how we see ourselves. Instead of seeing our stuff, we begin to see the image of God in us. For others of us, it means letting some things go so that we're free to follow, unchained, unshackled, ready to embrace this craziness that God calls us into. And yet for others of us, it's taking one step. Sometimes it's a big step. Sometimes it's a little baby step. Sometimes it's a few little baby steps in preparation for a big step. In a moment, we're going to come to the table and we're going to have communion together. But before we do that, I want to ask you just to close your eyes and to begin to prepare your heart and to ask the Spirit of God, what is it for you? What do you need to do to posture yourself for God to use you to do unexpected things? What is that? What about that image you have of yourself that is incongruent with who God says you are? What do you need to let go of? To really be loved by God, to embrace God and to allow God to do God's unique work in your heart. And what's the next step that you need to take? Lord, our heart is so alive in gratitude for you and I just pray over this church that you would give us the the wisdom to hear from you. And to do that honest self-reflection, to see what maybe shifts we need to do thinking-wise or letting go of, to be fully available by you. But I also pray that as we do those things and we hear clearly from you what you've called us to, that you'd give us the courage to take action. And I just can't help but feel that there are those in this room who have been talking for a long time and they want everything to be perfectly orchestrated before they take a step, I pray, God, you would give them the courage to take the next right step in the face of their own fear. And I ask all these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, and together this church said, amen.